Philippians 3, 15, 16. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude. God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. The word of the Lord. We have been looking at Philippians 3, 1 through 14. And basically what it is, is a confession of Paul's faith. And as Paul confesses his faith, he gives to us the definition of what a Christian is. Sometimes we think, you know, we have good catechism definitions of what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody who repents of their sin, believes in Jesus Christ, and leads a holy life. That's a good definition. And um, But here... The Apostle Paul gives us a a biblical definition from his confession what a Christian is. There's four parts. The first three parts are in verse 3. And then they're explained in verses 4 through 11. The last part of what it means to be a Christian is found in verses 12 through 14. So let me give you these four parts. First one, the first three are in verse 3. The first part, a Christian puts no confidence in the flesh. A Christian puts no confidence in the flesh. You and I, we cannot put confidence in our merit or in our merits. You cannot take the Ten Commandments, hold them up in front of you and say, this is what is required, this is what is prohibited, and I will do this and I will earn my uh, acceptance with God. Well, we find out that no mere man since the fall of Adam ever can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly. Nobody. So we can lay them in front of us, but we went, we cannot do it. We can't even, I don't know if you've ever tried this. I've tried this before. I remember when I was young, I wrote out 25 things that I was going to do. <clears throat> and every day I would go and I'd see if I did those 25 things. And for three or four days, I actually did the 25 things that I said I was going to do. But about the fourth day, I couldn't do them all. And then the fifth day, I couldn't do them all. And I found out I can't even do what I write out myself. <laughs> so there's 10 commandments. We can't. Do some list of do's and don'ts in order to be pleasing to God. Paul even tells us we can't put our confidence in our advantages. If you grow up in a Christian home, advantage, great, wonderful, but don't trust in that for your salvation. You can't uh, call another advantage. Maybe you've been baptized as a baby. Or maybe you're a member of a church. You can't say put all your trust in the advantages that you have. And he says not to put any confidence in. In your accomplishments. Remember how he was so accomplished. He was one of the most accomplished of all the Pharisees. And he says, all that's rubbish now. So the first part, first part, a Christian puts no confidence in the flesh. Second, he says, a Christian puts all confidence in Christ. Not in your merits, not in your advantages, not in your accomplishments, but only in Christ. Put your confidence in Or we could say, put your faith in Christ alone. So we come into this world conceived in sin, born in sin. We come into this world without original righteousness. And God has to go to work for us because He only accepts perfect people. How in the world are we going to be acceptable to a God when we have sinned? Well, God goes to work. And what He does is He provides for us a righteousness. Now, He doesn't go out. And package it up and deliver it to your porch with Amazon guys delivering packages of righteousness. What he does is he takes his son, sends him to this earth, 
and he puts on human flesh and this son comes to this world and he lives a perfect life for us. What does that mean? Well, it means he does the will of God. He actively obeys everything that God tells him to obey. And then he goes, because the wages of sin is death, he goes and he dies on the cross for all of our sins. And so this is the righteousness. Take the act of obedience, take the passive obedience, combine them together, and that's the package that God has given for us. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Put all your confidence in what he has done, and you are right with God. Number three, the third part of the definition is this. A Christian worships in the Spirit of God. You worship in the Spirit of God. This Spirit who takes the truth that you hear, that teaches you not to trust in your own flesh, that teaches you to put all your confidence in Jesus and His flesh, teaches us that He not only teaches us the gospel, but He begins to indwell us. He makes His home in us, and so now... As we come to the Father through the Son, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. We come to the Father and we worship Him. We come and we do so publicly. We worship God privately. We worship God as we go about our business, whether that be at home or with our children or at work. We are worshipers of God in everything we do, whether we eat or drink, we do it to the glory of God. This brings us to part number four. A Christian presses on to attain Christ. Now that brings us to verses 12 through 14. Remember when we talked about the fact that the Apostle Paul says, I was seized by Jesus Christ. I was apprehended. I was handcuffed to Jesus Christ. You go read it in Acts chapter 9, you'll see that that's where he was handcuffed. And now he spends the rest of his time seeking to put the handcuffs on Christ. He's seeking to apprehend the one who's apprehended him. He says in verse 12, I press on. In verse 13, one thing I do. Verse 14, I press on. It reminds me of what we just read there about uh, Mary offering up that nard on Jesus' feet. Remember in Luke 10, 38 through 42, it says that she did the one thing Jesus said she should be doing. She was at his feet. There's one thing that's really important. And that is that we be sanctified. I'm pressing on. Uh, He would know the power of Jesus' resurrection more than he did. He would know the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus Christ more than he knew. He would be more conformed to the image of Jesus in his death. He would understand what it meant to deny himself and to live in the power of God's Spirit better than he did. Remember, we talked about the fact that this passage talks about him being called heavenward. If you're being called, he wants the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's somewhere up there, right? So that means we're down here in a stadium. And back in those days in the Olympics, they would have that 607-foot path that they would run from one end of the stadium to the other and they would touch down at the one end and run all the way back 607 feet down 607 feet back and he's in this race and he wants to hit the tape and he wants to be called to the press box in the sky if you will he wants to receive the crown of righteousness that's awarded to all those who love him he wants to hear jesus say well done thou good and faithful servant he wants to hear the inner end to the joy of your lord that is what The Apostle Paul is doing. He hasn't hit the tape yet. He knows it's there. 
So here's the question for us. Am I a Christian? Do these things define me? Am I putting no confidence in my flesh? Am I putting all my confidence in Jesus Christ? Am I a person who worships in the Spirit? And am I a person who's pressing on to attain this Christ who has apprehended me? That's what a Christian is. Now, I'm going to say this again. I like saying this. I like this. I like this terminology. If you experience holy discontentment, you're pressing forward. <laughs> holy discontentment. I am not happy with where I am. We see these deviations. If we had a if we had a math guy up here and we had a board out, we could draw a little, you know, a, a diagram and we could show the difference between where we're supposed to be and where where we are, and we could see this deviation, and we are unhappy with our deviations. And it's at this point sometimes, some of you guys, I'm, I'm the only one that feels this way, right? Nobody else feels this way. You never feel like quitting? You ever felt like quitting? I, I'm the only one that feels like quitting sometimes, right? Am I speaking for myself? Nobody else out here feels like quitting. I see these deviations. I see where I'm off. I see where I don't say what I should say. I do what I shouldn't do. Feel like quitting. And then I'm reminded that I'm Loved by God who loves His people. I'm reminded that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. I'm reminded that I am adopted. I'm reminded that I'm justified. I'm reminded that I have a Holy Spirit working in me. And I get up and I brush myself off. And in the confidence of that love that I can never be separated from, I go on. I go on. And so that brings us to verses 15 and 16. And we're going to get three points out of verses 15 and 16. Here they are. With those thoughts in our mind, first, the command to unity, the command of unity. Second, the commission to God's revelation. Now, let me say this real quick because I need to say this. The commission to God's revelation. He commits, the, the apostle commits the Philippians and us to the revelation of God. And third, the exhortation to hold fast to the truth that we have Attain. Let's start with the first one. The command of unity, verse 15. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. Have this attitude. Do you remember where we read that before? In Philippians 2, 5, 5. Here we are. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. Let us continue to set our minds on this Philippians 2.5 says, Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. Now remember, it's very easy for us to come and read our Bibles. I, I never will forget it. We're sitting with the men over here one, night, one day. And Pastor Sumter said this. He says, Man, it's just so easy for me to get in a Bible study and just study this like it's, I'm the only one in the world. I just loved what he said. Because that's what we do, isn't it? We get in our... We get our coffee going. We spill a little coffee. You know, if, if your Bible's really legitimate, it's got a little bit of coffee stain on it, right? I've tried. My Bible's not legitimate yet. I've kept it clean. But you got your Bible, and you got a little bit of coffee stains on your Bible, and you know you're reading your Bible, and you're going, "This is have this attitude in you." Doesn't say that. It says have this attitude in yourselves. And here the apostle is saying, "Let us." Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. So it's not, 
It's not me, myself, and I, but it's us. It's not you, but it's yourselves. This is about the church. And I'm going to say it again. I'm going to keep burying this in your mind. Here we are. We come to church. And what are you doing right now? Well, you're looking up this way. Here we are. We're, we're facing. We're looking towards God. But you know what? While we sing, I hear you singing. Did you know that? I hear you singing. And you know, when you sing, you know what you do? You stir me up. You stir me up. And when we serve the Lord's Supper, I, I give it to these two men. The men go out and you pass the plate to each other. You have to look at each other. You have to hand it to each other. So we're worshiping God. We're with each other. We're doing this thing together. And when we're done, we have a fellowship. We eat, we, we eat food back there together. We drink coffee together. We're in each other's faces. And then when we leave this place, we leave this face, place going out to please God and do God's bidding. That's what our church is to do. We're to have this unity. And the apostle is telling us to have basically his mind. 1 through 14 is, look, this is how it works. I'm the example. This is how the unity looks. It's really fascinating. And I think he's kind of tongue-in-cheek here. He says, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And in verse 12, he's already said, nobody's perfect. (laughs) What's he saying? Verse 12, not that I've already obtained it or already have become perfect. Then he says, let as many of us who are perfect have this attitude. What's he saying? Well, he's telling us what perfect means. Y'all know what perfect means in the Christian life? Let me see if I can get at it a little bit. Have you ever heard of Willie Mays? Have you ever heard of the Say Hey Kid? Man, this goes way back, y'all. You have to be old to know who Willie Mays is. Willie Mays. He had a lifetime average, I think, of 306 batting average. Willie Mays, he hit over 600 home runs. Willie Mays had thousands of RBIs. Willie Mays was fast. Willie Mays was a good, good outfielder. Willie Mays could do it all. He was a mature. He was a perfect baseball player. But you know what? Seven out of ten times he didn't get a hit. (laughs) That's perfect? (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect. We call that great. We call that sensational. Willie Mays, three times out of ten, gets, a, gets three hits out of ten times at bat. We call that great. That's what being a Christian is. Being a Christian is, I'm not there yet, folks. If you go ask Arthur Pink, I read Arthur Pink's commentary on the, on the Lord, uh, Sermon on the Mount. And this is how he defines what it, what it means to be pure in heart. He says, pure in heart means that I realize I'm not pure in heart, but I'm desperately seeking to be so. Are you with me? I'm not there yet. Let this attitude be in yourselves. As many as you are perfect. Maturity. Not spotless. Not sin free. But mature. I love to, uh, if you ask my kids, they'll tell you that I like I like to look at people or watch people who are specialists. Um, years ago we went to Silver Dollar City and I don't know, I got disconnected from them. And sometimes I do, and I, I, was watching a, I was watching a man who was totally sweat through his clothes, big old muscles popping out, he had an axe. And he was chopping timbers and making timbers for log cabins. And I just went over there and sat down. And he saw me watching him, he said, how you doing? I started talking to him. I said, wood's flying everywhere. And this guy, this guy, he's just... He's just letting that axe hit that wood, and wood is going everywhere. And he's chopping beautiful pieces of wood for log cabins. I said, 
man, dude, if I were you, I'd be slamming that wood so hard. He said, yeah, and you wouldn't be able to make it more than about 20 minutes. I do this all day long. He says, I let the, I let the axe, I let the head do the work, and I am wisely choose where the, where the axe head hits the wood, and it just splinters that wood off. And it's, it was beautiful what this guy was doing. He was a specialist. And then a few years ago, I went and I listened to the Danish uh, Symphony Orchestra. I've sent Ben a few videos of this. Y'all, y'all, are, y'all need to see the Danish Symphony Orchestra. When they, when they play the good, the bad, and the ugly. And they have these two women. One's named Tuva Simming, Simmingson, and the other one's name is Christine Anderson. One of them does the wah-wahs, and one of them does the soprano, and they, they whistle, and the people playing all the instruments. It is absolutely amazing. And I just sit there and wonder, how does anybody wah-wah and whistle that well? And how does anybody ever sing soprano like that? It's because they practiced. It's because they gave themselves to it. And the Apostle Paul says, let this attitude be in you. Do this. Pursue this. Say to yourself, I'm going to read the Bible until I look like Jesus Christ. Say to yourself, I'm going to read the Bible till I bleed. Like Spurgeon said, if you cut me open, I hope that I bleed bibline. This is what we're talking about. This is what we want to be. We want to be living words. We want to be living sermons. We want people to say, hey, look, that guy has the mind of Christ. Those people have the mind of Christ. But notice what he says. He says, let us. Now, if, if there's anybody... Who, um, who has the right to tell us what to do. It's the Apostle Paul. He's been chosen by Jesus Christ. He's an apostle. He is the man. He's been chosen to write down all these things that are found that we read and that we study. He has the right to tell us what to do. But look how he says it. He says, let us. He's a brother. He has the right to say, I'm the norm. But he doesn't. He says, let us. He's the one who gives us the the way to think. He's the one who gives us the way to live. His doctrine and his life match. His command and his conduct, they match. He can say, do exactly what I'm saying, but he doesn't. He says, let us. You know, authority's being challenged today at every level, isn't it? Don't tell me what to do. Well, he has every right to tell us what to do because he's Jesus Christ apostle. And we do need to do what he tells us to do. I just love to point out the fact that he says, I'm a brother. He is telling us the truth. And you and I, Romans 1.25 says, you are exchanging the truth of God for a lie if you don't accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just think about that for a second. If you live according to your truth, which that's what we hear all day long, this is my truth. Well, my truth can change every day. I like what John Bunyan said a long time ago. He said this, he said, I only believe what my heart says when my heart says what the Bible says. Your your truth needs to be put over to the side and we need to not exchange God's truth for our truth. We need to take hold of God's truth, not suppress His truth, but hold His truth, lest we be found under the wrath of God. Now, if we again, going back, let us. 
In 12, verses 12 through 14, he says, I, I, I press on, I, I, I. And then he gets to verse 15, he says, let us. I'm your brother. We got to do this together. We got to do this as a family. We got to go at this and we got to be discontent together. <laughs> you know, we got to do this stuff together. So there's the first command. The first command is the command to unity. Here's the second command or the second point. The commission to God's revelation. He commits the Philippians and he commits us to God's revelation. I've adopted, okay? I've adopted this attitude that I have not arrived. I'm running the race with others and I'm moving towards the finish line. But what about those times when we don't agree with each other? Now, I'm not talking about some major doctrinal thing. Okay, not talking about that. I'm talking about where we disagree, some small disagreement. What about some minor point? Look at what it says there in verse 15. And if anything you have a difference of attitude, God will reveal that also to you. I think you need to think about as he commissions people to God's revelation, the first thing you have to think about is his toleration. When someone has a difference of opinion, a minor difference of opinion, he doesn't stand up and go, I'm the man, you have to do what I say. He doesn't say, I'm the final arbiter of the truth. He could have. But he says the way to make, the way to make progress when we don't concur is to say us, is to remember that we're brothers and not, listen folks, listen, I have never seen anything, I don't watch hardly any TV. But one of the things we need to be really careful about is our culture is full of division. It's full of people screaming at each other. I have never seen so many people screaming at each other in my entire life. They go into each other's, they go into separate corners and they come out when the bell rings and they scream at each other. Even the folks we may say we might vote with scream at other people. You cannot be a screamer. Do not be a screamer. Not in church. If we have a difference of opinion, don't go into your separate corners and come out screaming. We will never make it. But what we do is we sit down with the men at the Nicotine Theological Society and we, 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 get, we, we have other men teaching men how to light cigars and we have a little bit of adult beverages and we sit there and we talk. We talk and we spend time together, but we don't take on this way of the world. Paul's saying, hey, you got a minor difference? Call each other brothers. <laughs> Remember the us part. And then he says something else. He says, God will reveal that also to you. Where there's a difference, God will reveal that also to you. He's patient. I'm going to tell you some bad things. I have seen people when, when I've seen a couple come to a church before and they didn't understand total depravity. If you don't know what that means, we can talk about it later. I think most of you do. But let's just say that you don't understand something. And a man and a woman go over to that part, this, this new couple and they, they, they find out that they don't know what that means. And so they tell them and then they immediately they disagree. It's not a great time to be harsh. It's not a great time to go make your point and win the argument. You know what the time is? The time is accept people, love people, and let the Word of God work 
as the sermons are preached, as you have time with them. You know, they may fall in love with you and then come to believe what you believe. Second, but don't be so harsh. We can't be harsh and push people away. I've seen people leave because uh, somebody had to win the argument on total depravity. First, toleration. Then we wait on God's Word to do its work. We don't get in a big hurry. As a personal trainer, somebody came up to me and said, you know, when I was doing personal training, people would ask me all kinds of questions all day long. And I just quote Scripture to them. I tell them what the confession, Westminster Confession said. And I just wait. They might disagree. But then two weeks later, they'd ask another question. Just let the Word of God work in people's hearts. Waiting on God's revelation to work in the heart of our children sometimes is so hard. Because I want my child to profess their faith in Jesus Christ yesterday. (laughs) Right? I want these things to happen on my schedule. And we have to wait And so we as moms and dads, we commit our children to the Word of God and we keep bringing them to church and we keep bringing them hopefully one day to Sunday school and we keep reading the Bible to them and praying with them. Waiting is hard when we want our church to do a certain thing or waiting is hard on the preacher when he goes to a church and he wants the church to go a certain direction. What's he supposed to do? Let me tell you all a story. It's a true story. So I walk into this church the new church I went to in California, and there were all these things hanging on the walls. And I asked somebody privately, I said, who, who do these belong to? And they told me exactly who. I said, it'd be a really bad idea for me to take them all down, wouldn't it? <laughs> you with me? Everything has somebody's name on it. You don't want to rush in like a bull in a china closet and tear things all to pieces. And so if there's something that needs to change, what do we do? We commit To the Word of God. We lay these things out and we let the Holy Spirit work in people's lives. And instead of hurrying up and being too hard and being too harsh, we wait. We wait on God's Word to work. I think one of the things, you could do this this afternoon. You could read Nehemiah chapter 8. Ezra stands up to read the Word of God to all the people. He's behind a podium just like this. It's probably one of the first times you'll ever see somebody standing behind a box like this. And he reads. You know how long he reads, folks? Get ready. All morning long. Starts early, early in the morning, reads all the way to noon. He's just reading and reading and reading. And finally, by noontime, you know what happens? People begin to cry. People begin to confess their sins. He waited all morning long. Can you handle, could you handle coming and hearing several men read the Word of God all the way till 12 o'clock? Committing ourselves to the Word of God. Waiting on the Word of God to do its work. Well, number three, the exhortation to hold fast to the truth. And this is a great point. He says here, however, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have obtained. Literally, it reads like this. However, to which or to what we have attained, hold fast. There's a whole lot here. So, I'm committing you to the Word of God. I'm going to let the Word of God work in you. But let's, let's, let's stop here for a second. We're all working on things. However, he says... To what we have attained. Did you get that? In other words, we have some experience. We have attained certain truths. And to the truths that we have attained, what are we to do? Hold them fast. There are some things you do know. 
Yes, I haven't already reached perfection yet. Yes, I'm pursuing Jesus Christ with all my heart. Yes, I am pressing on. But also true, I have God's truth. I have some of it. I have attained a measure of knowing Jesus Christ. I have attained a measure of fellowshipping with Jesus Christ and His people. And now I must hold that fast. Hold it fast. Hold fast together. Sharpening iron, sharpening iron, talking with the women, talking with the men, and growing together. You know, I do, I wrote this down in my notes. I do see people doing this here. Do you feel that? I, I do know this is happening in our church. This is what is to characterize our church. To join this church, this OPC church, you must attain certain truths. You don't have to know everything, but you have to attain certain truths. The first truth you have to attain is this, that this Word is the Word of God and that in it is found the only perfect way of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's number one. You have to attain to the truth that God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that God has explained Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. That's number two. Number three, you have to understand that you're conceived and born in sin, and you need a Savior. His name is Jesus, and you have to put your faith and trust in Him alone. Number four, you have to renounce the world, the flesh, and the devil, and by by God's grace, you commit yourself to renounce the world, the flesh, and the devil, and you seek to please God alone. You serve Jesus Christ as Lord. And number five, you attain to the fact that you give God His worship. That you are going to place yourself under a session of elders who are going to have oversight over your soul. And if you are found, this is the part a lot of people, what? Delinquent in doctrinal life. You mean somebody's going to criticize me? Or somebody's going to come after me? Somebody's going to love you enough to say if you're delinquent in the way you live or delinquent in the way you teach, somebody's going to come and talk to you about it. That's real. Those are, that's not everything. Those are some things. To be a member of our church, those are things you have to attain to. So here's the question. Am I holding fast to the things that I've attained to? I say I believe these things. Am I doing these things? I remember sitting in my college dorm room, Austin College, Sherman, Texas, with my Bible out on a table, my Thompson chain reference, blue inks scribbled all over a pad of paper, and I'm asking myself this question, are you going to do the next right thing? That was the question. You know that you're supposed to read the Bible. You know, Mark Wheat, that you're supposed to go to church. You know that you're supposed to only date a Christian who is growing. You know these things. Are you doing them? And I had to say, you know, I'm not reading my Bible like I ought to. I've been taught to pray, but I'm not praying like I ought to. I've been taught to read the Bible, go to church. I've been, you know what, I'm dating a non-Christian. Am I going to hold fast to the things that I have attained to? I sat down that day, and I think by God's grace only, but I can say to you, I determined that if it killed me, I was going to go with God. I'm going to do what you say to the death. I started going to church. I thought I was going to kill. I went to church in the evening time too. When I was in college, but Lord, I got to study. 
I got to make all A's. You know me, I got to make all A's. What about my personality if I do all these things? <laughs> I mean, I can't say curse words anymore. I got to pray. I got to I got to think your thoughts. I got to go your way. And folks, listen, I lost friends. But I made friends. I made some terrible mistakes, but I learned to have the mind of Christ. I learned some wisdom along the way, and I made some mistakes along the way. And my life has never been the same since 1982 when I was sitting at that table. Never been the same. A lot of mistakes, oh yeah, but I didn't quit, and I'm still here. And this decision is before all of us. The decision is always before all of us. Are you holding fast to what you have attained? You said, I do this. I believe this. Are you holding fast to those things you have attained? If you know the right things to do and you're not doing it, you need, by the grace of God, to do the next right thing. Let me say something, and I wish I would probably ought to write a sermon on this one thing. It just starts with one thing. But, Pastor, i got 500 things i got to do at once. No, one thing. You're going to get out of this chair in a few minutes and you're going to go put your keys in the car and you can only go home if you put your key in the car. One thing. You get home, you're going to take your tie off where I am. Nobody here is going to take their tie off but me. Okay. (laughs) And then you're going to get a fork and you're going to put the food in the hole, the mouth hole. One thing. Don't get carried away with all the things... One thing. If you've been unforgiving, take care of the unforgiving part of your life. If you've been angry, take care of the angry part of your life. If you haven't been doing this part of this commandment, then take care of that thing. But one thing at a time, don't get all overwhelmed like the devil would want us to do. One thing. Just one thing. Do it one thing at a time. And I promise you, if you begin to do this, you're going to have the experience. You're going to have some tears. You're going to, have to, you're going to be fearful at times. But you're going to have a victory. And you're going to have Jesus right there with you. And you're going to be walking in the Spirit. And you're going to be enjoying life like you've never known before. It'll be an unbelievable experience. So we have to ask ourselves. I want to end with three illustrations. So many times when we know the right things to do, we can just do the next wrong thing. You know who did the next wrong thing? Herod Antipas, he did the next wrong thing. Don't you think about all Herod Antipas? He's listening to John the Baptist preach sermons. And the Bible says that John the Baptist was preaching along and Herod Antipas was doing many things after he heard him preach. Many things. Many things he heard him and he did many things. But then there came a point in time where he says, it's not lawful for you to have your, your, your brother's wife. And you know what he did? He did the wrong thing. He took the mouthpiece of God and put him in a prison. And then later on, he took the man's head off and gave, gave it to his brother's wife on a platter. He tried to get rid of the voice of God. He did the next wrong thing. What about Pharaoh? Now, this is another favorite story of mine. He did the wrong thing by waiting to the next day. Do you all know the story about the, the uh, plague of frogs? So God, He's going to reveal to not just Egypt, but to His own people through all the plagues that He's the one true and living God. He's going to show His people He's God. He's going to show 
Pharaoh in Egypt that he is God. And so he sends frogs. And the next thing you know, there's frogs in their bowls, frogs in their beds, frogs in their food, frogs everywhere you look. There's frogs. I can't, I want frogs to stay far away from me just like snakes. I don't like it when the dog brings a frog in the house. Now, Moses, Moses, Pharaoh comes to Moses and says this, get rid of these frogs. And Moses looks at Pharaoh and he says, the honor is yours to tell me when to entreat the Lord. What's the right answer, folks? (laughs) When do you want them removed? I'll pray then. What's the answer, folks? Today's the answer. Today, entreat the Lord today. I'll submit to the Lord today. I will be the Lord's disciple today. I will let the children of Israel go today. I'll do everything today. You know what he said? Tomorrow. I'll take another night with the frogs. Yeah. One more night with the frogs, brother. Not the right answer. Today. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day when you take what you know and you do the right thing. You don't do the wrong thing. You don't say tomorrow. You do it today. And that's what we find in Abraham. God calls Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees, gives him all these promises. And what does he do? He leaves today. He built altars and called on the name of the Lord today. Today, Don't do the next wrong thing. Don't wait till tomorrow. But do the right thing and do it today. Call on Jesus today. Well, that's the sermon. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for teaching us to be those who are unified together. Help us to work things out together. Help us to be committed to your word together. Help us to call each other brothers and sisters together. And Lord, help us to hold fast to the right thing and help us to do it today. Strengthen us now as we go. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.